0: This week's VFX show, show 196, yes, we're heading towards 200, and we're heading there today with Chappie, um, a film I must admit I was looking forward to enormously from the director, of course, of District 9. I'm joined by Andrew Usher. How are you, Andrew?
1: I'm doing very well. Thanks, Mike.
0: Welcome back to the show. Thanks. Uh, Good to have you back. And uh, from his near-deathbed, we have uh, Zap. How are you, Zap?
2: (laughs) Still alive. <coughs> uh, better than I was yesterday. But yeah, I will might be some coughing and sneer things from my side. I've been a bit sick, but uh, as I always say, still alive.
0: Excellent. So just to establish our <laughs> geographical orientations, of course, I'm in Sydney. Um, where are you, zap? Uh
2: Last time I checked, I'm in Sweden, way up <laughs> north.
0: Yes, well, I know where you are, but for the benefit of those incredibly wonderful which people also that also is
2: missing. funny because the sun is shining the weather is warm and nice uh, whereas as my colleagues in montreal which i work with they have snowstorms and i don't know what it's weird
0: and uh, andrew where are you
1: i'm in the uh, north of scotland where it's cold wet windy and bleak <laughs> as usual i must relocate
0: right so chappy uh Basically, humanity's last hope that isn't human. Um, let's start with the movie review, as we like to do, uh, before we get into the visual effects of this film, and uh, and the direction of Neil Blomkamp. Zap, what do you think?
2: Uh, I actually enjoyed it. Um... Because I was worried. Uh, I heard, maybe I went in with uh, low expectations because I've heard a lot of, you know, bad things about it. Uh, The fact that the the Antwoord would be in it and apparently weren't good actors and all the things I heard up front. Also, I was not a fan of Elysium. I love District 9. District 9 is one of the... really most awesome movies in many years and it's one of the movies where i really you know cared for the main character in his fight at the end you know you are really like going yeah go vickers you nailed those bastards you know you totally were in with the main character right in elysium you weren't in there with anyone it was just a complete mess so i you know Going into this, I was cautiously optimistic, and I think I got even better than I deserved. There's a lot of things to be said about. I mean, this is Robocop meets, you know, Short Circuit, basically. Um, and for what it is, that's kind of a given. Many people say that as a negative, but. Uh, that it kind of riffs from these two things. But I think that's kind of intentional and kind of a given. And it even even though it is Robocop meets Johnny Five, you know, it treads some new roads a little bit. with Because I, I was actually, you know, positively surprised that it went to, into this thing, uh, spoiler, with the conscious transfer thingy uh, at the end, which was not just for, you know, saving the robot chappy, but turns out, hey, wait, we just started, you know, the singularity bang you know so yeah i enjoyed it uh
0: okay i think the the ending completely jumped the shark but andrew what do you think
1: um i really like district nine i should get that off my chest first but i was quite worried that this was going to be i guess a short circuit versus ed 209 from robocop so i i guess i was a bit prejudiced going into it i did enjoy it um i felt um I wasn't sold on the uh, PlayStation 4 hookup and uh, with a Sony via laptop and a flash drive meets consciousness. Um, I kind of <laughs> threw it for me near the, near the end of it. Um, we we haven't thought, seen such a PS4. big
0: technical laugh since uh, uh, back in the... Uh, well, <laughs> there, there are lots of them, I guess. But um, yes, I'm reminded of a film that was like way in the 70s. It was like Life Force or something. And... Uh, you put on this rig, and it it sort of captured your um, memories and stuff. And it, uh, and one of the main characters escapes, and at the very end, he manages with a dial up modem, an acoustic modem, to transfer uh, <laughs> down. Um, uh, the data, and I thought this was the same. That the idea that you would encapsulate someone's consciousness on a flash drive—I mean, I—I I want that flash drive. It seems like a good capacity flash drive uh, that you would be able to. Yeah, at. it was
2: probably. Yes. I mean, but this was low far in the future, like twenty sixteen. So flash drives are much bigger than right. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I didn't mind that. So at the much. end of WarGames. The
0: there's a software glitch, and all the computers blow up. I thought that was kind of fun yeah. as well. Yeah. Right. Right?
2: So, so, so the part of this which I may be less. Uh, you know, as a computer nerd, you know when he had installed the consciousness consciousness dot dat on onto Chappie, and then later claimed you cannot copy consciousness because it's not data. It's like you build a robot, you installed software on it. Obviously, this can be copied from the robot. Uh, that is harder to copy yeah, from I the human. Say, uh, I would get that more. Yeah. So that was kind okay. Of, you so, hand anyway, I
0: <laughs> so <laughs> I felt like there was a complete. Uh, different tacked on ending uh i'm not saying they market tested it and, and put a new ending on it just felt like whoa the film's just become a different film just in the last few seconds of the film that would have been maybe a whole better film to have explored if we'd sort of had that happen in the end of the first act not at the end of the third act um but leaving that aside i actually thought Chappie himself was terrific Uh, I mean, I I don't want to say I didn't like the film and I I hated it or anything, because I certainly didn't. I just had this problem with the ending, this this whole, let's, you know, make the consciousness, put it on a thing and then start making everybody a robot. It was like...
2: Yeah, although, again, I like that uh, because that was a left field that for me was like a... You know, subversion of cliché. Uh, you know, not thinking the movie suddenly went somewhere new, which I actually kind of liked. Uh, so yeah, maybe. Do you, I'm do just you think that there,
0: there was? Do you think he was like taking the piss of it? I mean, do you think he was like like deliberately being? Yep. Right. So it wasn't. It was like an intentional, almost dare I say, a joke.
2: I wouldn't say it's a joke, but I think, I mean, he's, uh, I think it's referencing, you know, what Kurzweil is talking about with the singularity, like when, when you get an artificial intelligence that is so intelligent that it can start replicating itself, then humanity is basically screwed. Now we got a nice one, which uh, helped to copy his friend, which is nice, but, uh, uh, you know. And then he makes mum. Made his mum, you know. Because why not?
1: Yeah, I, I didn't like it at all. I I, I didn't like the twist of no. it. Um,
2: Maybe I'm I I lying. just
1: thought it was too abrupt. It was really abrupt. It was just I I actually found the whole movie at points I wasn't sure whether I was watching like some strange black comedy or whether it was some. I just found that the pitch and and the pace of it very up and down a lot through the whole the whole piece. And it's not that I didn't like it. Um, I didn't love it as much as, like, say, Ex Machina, which I really loved.
0: Um, oh, you've seen the new X Machina, is... have you? Ah.
1: Yeah, and, no, you I know, I, I just thought that was a much Well, now don't say, more say any more about that because I'm pretty market. sure we're
0: going to do a whole show on that. <laughs> um, that. That seems very promising. But look, here's the thing. I, I just felt like that ending bit, like the idea of the consciousness, like that was another movie, right? And maybe they were setting it up for a sequel, yeah. or maybe that was just where they wanted to go. But the only two things I didn't really like in the film was that ending, and and I cringed over the Australian. And now, even though it was played by an yes. Australian, it was just that mullet, um, that huge kind actualist of, mullet. Uh, I, I okay. When I say I didn't okay, so I'm gonna list a couple of things I didn't like it before I get to the visual effects, which I did like. Can, can I also I thought it was a waste of was, Sigourney River.
2: There was somebody making a brilliant review. They said, this is a movie about an extremely weird character with something funky sticking out of his head. Off his head and that's just talking about Hugh Jackman, you know. So yeah. yeah.
0: But didn't you think it was a bit of a waste of Sigourney? I mean, Sigourney's like, you know, yes. I think I said this on the show. She's like, she's like, affects royalty. She's, you know, she's the, I mean, you just can't get an actress at the kind of, gravitas in the sci-fi world that, that she has i can't think of another actress that i would give more cred to and from aliens to uh to avatar i mean oh my god it just felt like i was waiting for sigourney's big why we got sigourney in this role moment and didn't get it
2: yeah
1: yeah see i i felt the same but i felt the same with jodie Foster and elysium as well i felt it was very wooden and it, it just i actually thought jodie was well. better
0: in okay so i I would take task with anyone that had anything to say bad about Sigourney. So I'm not saying Sigourney was bad. But I thought that's that uh, that the the use of Jodie Foster was better in Elysium than um, than I thought Sigourney's use was in this film.
2: So here's a theory yeah a theory I invented just now. You know, Neil Blomkamp loves to work with his mates. You know, he's Charlton Copley and him are good yeah. friends since forever. And it's clear that he's a great director when working with his mates. Uh, and maybe he just has problem directing stars because maybe he gets too starstruck in front of Sigourney and Jodie Foster and don't give them proper direction. Or I don't know. That's... Like I say, I invented it now. So. <laughs> but maybe that just could... before
0: the film came out, there was this whole thing about them doing aliens. Um, you know, Neil's aliens, because uh, yeah. on set he brought it up with Sigourney, and it seemed like a really interesting take. And it was all. And if Chappie had hit box office gold, which it clearly hasn't, you know, we'd all be like chomping at the bit right now because, like, imagine you know, they did this on Chappie, and if that was like, you know, one of the best films we've seen in ages, then this would mean that uh, the, you know, the Everything's been sort of set for this amazing reboot of Aliens, and we'd all be like, that would be a happy world to live in. But didn't quite get there, did we? Um, so it hasn't found an audience, and I don't think... I'm very confident in saying the reason it hasn't found an audience got nothing to do with the visual effects, because I thought the visual effects were really, really good. I thought the character animation of Chappie was really, really good. Um, I thought the rendering of Chappie was really, really good. I mean... There was only one shot in the sort of from a vFX point of view that I had an issue with like in a major way generally though I just thought it was really really good um what did you think now if we just shift gears completely away from the acting and stuff to discuss the visual effects which were obviously led by uh, image engine what did you think Sam um
2: one thing i I must say about uh Mr. Bloomkamp is that he has. Normally a very specific visual style uh, to the point of kind of being... Need I say repetitive in his visual style? If you look, you know, to his original Tetraval short, or which, you know, or the, it's like the same freaking robot again and again, and it's kind of repeating, and it has to be in the, you know, South African slums and all that. He really loves this stuff. So I will be super controversial here and say that I actually like the fact that he used the untoward guys to help spice up the look of this movie, painting some smiley faces. This and other things uh, in the background, so the look of this movie was slightly not exactly standard Bloom Camp, but it had a particular little edge that I think they helped with. You can say what you will about their acting, but the fact that they were part of kind of the you know production design of the whole thing, I think that actually helped the the look of the thing to not be like yet another you know neil bloom camp version 1.0 clone of itself again um, so that part i liked the effects work in this movie is completely outstanding uh i know you always ask us a question about the worst we effects shot and i will try to answer that question when it comes up but uh, uh generally this thing is freaking flawless uh it looks fantastic there is not a single case or maybe one single case uh where the robot doesn't look like he's there and like perfectly rendered into the scene um I, and of course the whole performance capture or what you want to call it because it wasn't really performance capture in nah. the, that sense they used shaltos acting as a reference and yeah extremely well and by the way i just saw this interview you know unlike uh, people like mr circus or whatever charlotte even charlotte even printed his own t-shirt with all the animators and cg people on it which you know brought Shappy to life uh, which he's wearing you know around the, the when he's he doing the promotional circuit for the movie uh, which i think is you know very humble of him to really un- understand is yes he does the character but you need all these other 200 people to bring this amazing thing t- to to the screen and, well, i know, actually
0: think i mean look i, I I've asked about the visual effects, but you brought it up. I think he did a tremendously good job because the voice, the the whole kind of mannerism stuff that led to to inspiring the animators, did not, you know, was totally appropriate to the character. Like he was. He was in character because I've seen the before and afters, and we've done stuff for FX Guide and for White. We've we've gone over the before and afters, and he just doesn't come off like the tough guy he de- does in other films, or the kind of lost soul that he does in at other times. I mean, he just he can act, and the acting yep. was appropriate, and it was really good. But you're right, yeah. The, the character animation work, the the nuanced character animation mm-hmm. work was spectacular, and
2: every little mannerism and stuff. Comes through so well, little things mm. like you know rubbing his nose, kind of all cocky and stuff like that. Yeah. It was just it's so freaking perfect. So I mean, applause to Shalto and all the other two hundred people for bringing this to life.
0: I think the uh, the car robbing scene was certainly a favorite in our household. The you know like where he's uh, trying to get Daddy's cars back. Mm-hmm. I mean that was just it was yeah. well done. It yeah. was funny. It was just you know you kind of at that point didn't realize you'd actually go through with like I mean it, maybe it's a bit cliched in some respects but I thought it was a good you know kind of smashing up the car and you know don't do it again kind of thing like a childlike uh, exuberance of uh, enthusiasm uh, misdirected by his uh, his father I thought it was really cruel and and I and i say this as a visual effect point, and it was really cruel what they did to Chappie in driving him to the place and leaving him. And I, it was only cruel because the character animators made me care about the robot. Yeah, I mean, I really hated watching yeah. them torment him and throw the firebomb and him having to stumble back. And, and it was just... I felt uncomfortable watching that, and I mm-hmm. felt uncomfortable because it was so well character animated. It wasn't like the thugs were producing Academy Award-winning thuggery, though they were very good, it was that the character animators were producing Academy Award-winning character animation that made me care about Chappie and not want to watch him be tormented.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I agree. I thought it was quite quite a moving area but I just felt the whole, I just thought Chappie was so well done, I thought the swagger I and mean, it's not just that, I think it's the development process of him being like almost a, a small child infant and having such a steep learning curve, I thought it was really well acted, I thought it was it was really seamless, I really loved the shot after he'd been kind of set on fire with the thugs you with the dog? looking the, the city. And, and oh, the yeah, I thought it was absolutely Just amazing. spectacular. I just thought it was fantastic. Just so well done. And it's, it's the tactileness yeah. of the hand and the way it moves. Just thought it was absolutely phenomenal. I Just, there's nothing but good things to say about that. I don't think anything was absolutely When Chappie comes
0: around the corner I with really the doll him. of mum and uh, and then dad's like, you know, come on and he's like, got it behind his back and he's like, doesn't know what to do with it and then sort of goes and puts it. You know what I mean? That, that scene, just at no point did you just feel like it was a piece of CG that they were kind of talking to something that wasn't there or that we didn't care about it. I mean, I just can't begin to say how much I had a grin on my face with that doll behind his back when, you know, I mean, it was really a pretty simple gag, but it was uh, so well acted by the animators in getting that across. It was
1: really amazing. And if you're into martial arts, like me, and you're a martial arts geek, then it was a super sweet sidekick. (laughs) (laughs) Chamber of the leg kicked to the wall. It was really super nice. Okay, did not Um, know that. that. Yeah, it was was pretty nice, I thought. Um, But I, I agree with the doll... That was I just thought it was so well done, and it was so engaging, and you could really resonate, especially if you got kids that all shyness and keeping. I just thought it was fantastic. Really, really loved
0: it. Yeah, the the need for love and the need for connecting to parents, and you know just how hard it was to watch him being treated badly by his quote father. Um, just testament to the character animators. I mean, you just cared so much about the character, which is why I say I don't, I didn't dislike the film because while I found it annoying um in certain respects especially that end bit and i didn't find it particularly fresh uh and i i think you know in how some of the actors were used i thought that there was just too much of not very good actors acting and not enough of very good actors not acting (laughs) but the one you know the group of team that could have delivered on a performance is chappie i mean let's think about it right like was there anyone else in the film Whose Maybe, maybe Dev's performance was pretty on on the money. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I liked. Yeah, as yeah, yeah as I the thought Scientist. Dev
1: Patel was pretty good as Dion. Um, I thought there was a lot of real nice touches. Uh, I think you could really embrace that whole element that this was his creation that was being taken away from him. You could see the pain. I thought it was really really good. And and for me that I, I felt himself, Chappie, Yolandi. And Ninja, I thought that team worked. I think take away, you know, like um, Hugh, it didn't been fine. I, I didn't
0: think Ninja worked oh, that I well. I didn't mind them too bad, uh, actually. I, yeah. I, I
1: was, I, I didn't.
0: No, it, it, there was not, for me, there was not, I mean, we just went from hot to cold, like the whole not treating him like somebody and then treating him like somebody and then, uh, and it just, the acting. I, I tell you why, it, I think it was when he was on screen with the other guy whose name escapes me, that like the evil, super evil dude who led the riot and comes up at the end to oh, yeah. um to claim chappie Andy's money when they were on screen together you, I, for me and personally anyway he was a much more convincing villain and a much more convincing acting performance and next to ninja he just looked like a pro that was the professional version and ninja was kind of the you know nice guy i mean i love the idea of ninja like that, the whole idea of getting an actual band and imply the actual band as fallen on such hard times that they're going to do drugs and and get in trouble and you know if they were a band you knew um I think that would have just if they'd worked as actors and you knew them from when they'd performed it would be a masterstroke right I, I,
2: I don't f- But um, isn't that the point though, of the of the ninja character the character that he uh, isn't really as tough yeah, as he thinks
1: inadequate. you know uh, I mean for me that was it But
0: but that's not my point my point was that when he's being mean and then he's suddenly not mean i just didn't see that at an acting level come through it was just like the script now caused me to not be mean the script caused me to be mean you know the the whole chappy i lied to you thing it just didn't have anywhere near the gravitas that i thought it could have had when he's in the back of the van um i think you know it was i mean it. i don't know is it Sophia Coppola level in the Godfather Part Three, probably not. But it's certainly one of those, you know, miscastings for me. That was really good on paper. Like I thought it was a great idea, and then I just don't think it could. have played out that well. I I think you could have played that stronger. I think you could have given Sigourney. Sagoni and uh, and uh, and Hugh Jackman is a very talented actor, and it was a bit sort of one dimensional. This kind of overlay of a Bible basher, but he was a robotics guy, and he. I mean, do we believe that Hugh is able to mastermind the the droid, the uh, the moose that he did? I mean, I just, at no point did I buy that Hugh Jackman had enough, you know, if there was some subplot that he'd stolen moose, maybe i would have believed it, but he was like some kind of army SAS robotics genius who would just taken a dumb pill. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, if you could make a robot that could fly and could be that armor, you know, I mean, okay, so maybe it's... Uh, you know, not uh, as good as Chappie in terms of the police uh, scouts, but it wasn't, you know, hopeless. It was like a a well-functioning piece of robotics. I don't believe for a second that that was, you know, his baby. I mean, he was just so archetypally stupid, grunty, <laughs> SAS, Bible-bashing, paranoid, you know, yeah. not, not... You never saw him, like, really coding hard and being felt like, you know... He was, a com- I mean, if he'd been, I don't know, if he'd been a, 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 at uni and he was the sort of senior guy and Dev's character had come up under him and outshone him and he resented him for since they were at uni together or something, there was a something that made me believe that he was, you know, you could have had a whole extra dimension. But anyway, again, I'm going off at the acting when I am when I don't want to be, I want to go back to the, um, the visual effects. I do want to swing back, um, having said how much I think the character animation was brilliant, and I genuinely do, I do want to just put you guys on the spot over what you thought did or didn't work from a technical point of view. I've already said I've got something. Um, Zap, can I put you on the spot first? Anything that
2: stood out? Actually, there was one funny thing that it's not really a technical thing that stood out. Uh, It's uh, um, more of a movie logic thing in, in the sense that the... Whole production design for that room where Hugh Jackman was having his moose system was like super designed and it all, all even had like the moose thingy on the it was some big text on the wall and everything yep. it was all like super advanced and highly designed if if he was in this underfunded part of the whole thing shouldn't that be a much more rickety kind of you know um, a simpler lab he built this in it looked way too shiny and, and, and kind of you know, like he had a very fancy budget for this thing but uh, going on the, on the actual visual effects of things that didn't work that is really difficult to find in this film there's one thing I will say there's one shot uh, where I think it didn't work as well and it's... Uh, where we transfer uh, uh Dean's consciousness, Dion's consciousness, to the red uh, prototype robot thingy, and that red robot runs into the sunlight. There was something about the red color in that one shot where it runs into the sun that, for me, rang like that didn't that looked slightly CG? Like, I know it's a hundred percent CG. It looked three percent CG, where the rest of the stuff in the movie had looked negative twenty percent CG. So that stood out to me. But like my nitpickiness level now is I have you turn, turned and turned it to insane to be able to even find something. Uh, so if that's the worst you can do movie, good on you.
0: Um, it wasn't a huge budget film. Like it wasn't, you know, a hundred and twenty million dollar kind of mega film. So I think the while the factory was a bit, you know, all over the shop in terms of um, design aesthetic and, you know, sometimes it just looked like a normal office and sometimes it looked like a factory and sometimes it looked like a, a, a meat handling place. It looked
2: place. like a DHL um,
0: I, I just. Uh, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't, I didn't, I kind of forgave that. Um, but at a technical level, Andrew, anything? I didn't like
1: the mousse. I didn't like the way... It- it, it kind of flew. I didn't like the rockets things on it. I, I, it's just something about it. It, it just looked like Ed Two O Nine with extra bling on top. Um, I just, <laughs> I just really took me out. Of it. I, I'm not sure what it was. I, I just didn't like the aesthetics of it. Um, so that that for me, I, I wasn't particularly keen on. I agree with Zap to do with the, the change of the consciousness to the the red droid. I felt that the that whole sequence with the red droid and then when they transfer Yolandi. Over, I I just felt the animation wasn't didn't look as great as Chappie did. Um, I wasn't so keen on that, and I wasn't particularly keen on the gore fest when they kill off the uh, Americans character, um, when the Ed Two O Nine Moose steps on top of them. Uh, I felt it was very bloody. It's almost like it had a lot of motion blood in that shot. Uh, I wasn't so keen on that. Apart from that, I think that was really the only bits. Yeah, I- me really.
0: I didn't like the the yeah the the death scene and the you know being set on and split out, um, but the one that got me actually there's a side shot looking in that hangary area where the moose was on the left of shot is the moose. It's a straight looking down shot and it's very much a profile. It could have been like you know backlit silhouettes and Chappie comes in from camera right and you have this shot of Chappie facing the moose and the moose is real. It's a you know, prop that was made by Weta Workshop, and interestingly, as we put in the story in FX Guide, to do the grill, they got uh, ramen noodles. You <laughs> yeah. Know, ones that were like actually uh, still um still <laughs> in uh, in hard form before you um, put them in boiling water and and just spray paint them black to kind of get this elaborate grill thing. But anyway, I digress. So you got this shot, and and he walks in camera right. He's fully CG. The moose is fully. Uh, authentic of course it can't animate and do anything but it's not meant to at this point in the film it's just meant to be sort of sitting there as a big static and there was a there was a real mismatch i mean when you had the real on the left and the digital on the right um i think there was a combination of about three things that were off. In that i think the black level wasn't quite perfectly matching i think the sharpness wasn't quite perfectly matching and i think the specularity or or if not the specularity then the sharpness was uh, was off on camera, right? And by sharpness, I kind of mean a an almost uh, zap. You know how you get that almost crunchiness about. Um, so it's not. It's it's like a combination between a sort of a sharpness and a high frequency thing that just a blur isn't going to get rid of. It's a it's an almost a, an over detailed um, lacking an optical element between me and the object kind of look. Do you know what I'm talking yeah. about?
2: Yeah, it sounds like you're almost talking about the nearly a sharpening effect of the camera, which, by the way, was one jarring effect. Some of the shots in the movie felt very video, uh, like and had these kind of... I think some of them were intentional. It, it's the Bloom Camp, uh, you know, documentary style kind of thing. And some shots, it made sense to look video But other shots seemed to look video for, like, no reason. Almost like he had a second unit going out shooting stuff. And they were using, like, worse cameras or GoPros or God knows what to shoot some stuff. So there were some jarring shots. I wouldn't really call them visual effects per se, but just general shots of stuff that looked like very video-y. So I don't know if that could be something like you're seeing, like you're seeing like more real camera-style artifacts on the real stuff. And, uh, no, I, this I, I was, pick... was
0: Chappie not matching to the...
2: Okay, I, I didn't pick up on this shot at all, actually, so I, I can't comment on it. No, I know. Yeah,
0: I mean, there were shots that I thought were exquisitely well-comped, right? Yolandi sitting in bed with Chappie with the book was... Phenomenal. Uh, <laughs> Phenomenally well executed. I yeah. mean, like you know that that is a simple shot. You're not got a lot of. Not, I mean, you know, an action shot with explosions and there's an even off. better
2: one actually. Uh, there yeah? they are. Um it's early on when Chap is still in very uh, childlike, and Yolanda is sitting up with her, uh, with him against the wall, and they're kind of backlit, and their shadows are thrown across the wall. And me, who's been writing all these shaders and stuff, you know, for 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 matte shadow stuff with not getting the double shadows and all this, was yep. like sitting there looking at how her shadow perfectly meshed with his shadow and everything. And I, yep. I guess they must have made like, a, I probably that whole. N- f- wall was probably CG and they made like a a stand-in for her to do the shadows or whatever but it was so well made and she was interacting and hugging and touching him you know and putting her hands over over Chappie back and forth and the interaction was so incredibly believable there's one case in the movie I I noticed like there was a tiny slippage of a hand that was touching a thing but again that's with nitpick level put to insanity and i think i will say that
0: chris harvey who's that. yeah chris harvey is the vfx supervisor on set like the, the, the vfx supervisor as it were, just really excelled in allowing that interaction like that contact mm-hmm. that um you know at no point did i feel like we were deliberately putting the coffee cup down so that the other character could pick it up so we could have an easy transfer mm-hmm. um, there was a lot of interaction in there that really and I, I think you know you've got to give it to a supervisor on set when they're just comfortable helping to organize the stuff on set so that'll come off so that people don't look like they're holding something that's wrong and feels unnatural that you know yeah that, th- I don't, there, mm.
2: there's Go another on. sequence that has to be tricky uh, you don't realize how tricky. It- must be because you are you forget that's Chappie's CG and it's the gun shooting sequence where uh, you know Daddy is showing Chappie how to shoot and they're passing the gun back and forth and he's shooting yeah. and and you, you you're we are seeing it from the target area where he has a bunch of porcelain dolls and whatever and they're sh- firing at and you know that that stuff like passing the gun back and forth and all the interaction there is completely flawless and so flawless you forget it's an effect.
0: Yeah, no. I mean, you're absolutely right. Like, it's it was just not uh, a film that I felt that you know the, that the uh, there was sort of there wasn't that sort of classic in any way uh, a setup for a visual effect shot. You know, like you didn't kind of know it was coming. It wasn't framed oddly for a visual effect. It wasn't uh, you know that the objects were handled in a sort of a way that made you because clearly some of those objects they're handing back were CG the whole way through, and if they were CG in the actors' hands, they certainly felt right. Um, you know, I mean, it was really good. And it was it's, just, it's, uh... I mean,
1: I loved the, the the gold bling chains and the way they moved. Yeah. And I just thought it was... I, but I agree, I think all the tactile touching and, and kind of execution of the hand movements and positions, you never felt... I never felt any way that it was CG. It, it, everything looked, you know, the way it, sh- it should have looked. I, I was quite stunned, actually, by that. I thought they really pulled that off. I thought it was really, really fantastic. And I loved also the shot in, in bed as well. It was... It just kind of had so many connotations. Uh, You know, if you get kids and you're kind of sitting in bed with them reading stories, it just all looked fantastic, I thought. thought It was really, really well done.
0: Yeah. Yeah, somebody pinged me on Twitter, uh, somebody that listened to the show, which, um, you know, we really do appreciate people uh, doing stuff. And and they basically asked whether I thought that the fireball that's thrown over the back of Chappie was, um, you know, uh, digital rather than you know like being something that was sort of done and, and I have to say uh, I don't know that for a fact other than I do know that when Chappie's hit by that sort of RPG thing uh, at the beginning of the film that, that turns him into the the quote write-off that he becomes I have to say that um, that fluid sim of the explosion stuff was so good uh, and I've seen the making, you know, like the components of that. That I'm pretty comfortable in saying that there's no way that the one that was thrown over his back by the gang was also not CG, and it was really good. So there isn't a huge amount of environment work. There isn't a, hu- but there is some effects work like that with these sort of flame balls and stuff. And man, they are just seamless. I mean, you just study those suckers, and they, the. The way they react on Chappie, the lighting, everything. I don't know. Is that
2: what do you think? It was just seemed to be really, really good work. So I, I thought the fireball looked completely amazing. I'm basically assuming it's CG because uh why Not, I guess, it because they, as you were saying, they have done such great uh, fluid simulation. Other things, it looked completely fantastic, and the slow motion of it. There was a little heat haze and all that. It it looked completely fine. I mean, it's feasible that they could have taken one of the, you know, practical. Chappies and threw gasoline on it, but I don't know why you would do such a thing. Uh, And as far as I know, the practical chappies were only ever used for the thing, like hanging on racks or or stuff like that. So I, yeah, it it, for me it worked hundred and ten percent. It was super beautiful.
0: Yeah, yeah, I thought it was. Andrew, you'd agree?
1: Yeah, I thought th- I thought that was really good. I was wondering whether that was maybe some fluid sims or pyro sims done in Houdini or or, or something like that. It kind of, to me, had a almost Houdini stylized kind of look for the fireball. You know, if you're doing the pyro sim work, um, so I wasn't too what, sure. What about,
0: that. what about it? Would I mean? I think Houdini's marvelous, but what about it would make it say to you, Houdini?
1: I don't know. I just I've been doing a lot of pyro work <laughs> lately with Houdini, and right. um, I just thought it had uh, a very very stylistic Houdini styled um, kind of pyro setup. The colors and everything else just made me think perhaps right. it was done in Houdini. It um, could be practical, um, but I would probably hedge it was more CG than anything else. Just by, but I thought it looked fantastic though. I thought it looked really, really good.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it is. Um, it is such a production value ad, isn't it? I mean, you get those things in there, and there was a, there was a lot of you know explosions and smoke and stuff done for real on the day um but those particular fireballs that we're talking about all the hits um you know just makes a shot look magnificent it's good also that they invested so much in having practical uh, props and stuff and uh you know that wetter workshop did such a good job in in uh, pulling stuff up uh that they could have it on set i think um i think image engine did a really really good job in uh in making chappie sit in but um The pipeline wasn't, you know, revolutionary in the sense that they weren't sort of pulling something that had never been done before. It was kind of interesting, we were talking to them about how they were tracking the damage on Chappies who went through the film. Um, I think we ended up working out with them that there were 17 different Chappies in Chappie (laughs) as uh, he progressed through uh, having various uh, bits of graffiti, uh, fireballing, damage, the arm, of course. Um, And then on top of that, of course, they had to track that battery the entire way to the end to make sure that no point did we... um, did we see the wrong battery indicator on his level, uh, which you know? I mean, it's not a big deal, but it's uh, it's nicely yeah. done.
2: Plus, that is only really visible in like three shots in the movie. So, yeah.
0: No, I think it's I, I think it's more than that actually. I, but but yeah, I mean, you know, once you know to look for it, I guess. Hey, yeah. um, the thing that was interesting was having all the guys running around in grey suits that were going to be replaced by um by scouts and or Chappie himself, having GoPros strapped to them to give them um correct of the moment GoPro footage that could be used for the uh, droid's own sensor readout. So whenever you wanted to cut to the point of view of Chappie or cut to the point of view of a scout, you actually had the GoPro on the actor that was running into the scene and that was the footage that they used um, to you know, put some graphics on and some more type and all that kind of stuff, of course. A um, few heat kind of things, but I thought it was a good a good move. I, I don't know who had to wrangle all that footage. It would have been a hell of a lot of it, but I thought it was a great idea to do that rather than just do it as a second unit.
1: Yeah, I hadn't realized that. Wow, it's kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, if you look at some of the footage, you'll see that almost everyone who's running has got either on their head or on their chest Chest, a a camera. And, uh, you know, I mean, look at any of the making of footage. The guys in the suits are um, uh, are providing that footage and it gives you that authenticity because it's obviously the right uh, time, the right action and everything else. And it just seems a great idea to do that rather than go back and try and film those elements. Um, every once in a while, you see somebody that does a you know a computer simulation. They're trying to match it back, and it just doesn't quite make it. So why not just get it on the day? I say. Yeah, seems like a good idea. Uh,
2: and also, I think one thing is clear with this movie: uh, I, as much as a pain it is to having to paint out these you know stand-in characters, in the, your, your grey-suited people, and you would like to think that shooting everything just by blank plates would be easier the fact that there's never a question on you know where you point the camera where you know your other actors are going to look there's never an eyeline problem there's never a feeling that this actor is trying to emote to a tennis ball on a stick or something i think it helps the performance so much it's kind of wor- worth it but there has to be a lot of poor people having to do you know painting out you know guys in pajamas though <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely true. <laughs>
0: yeah. And they tend to be unsung heroes. Also, the guys that were doing the actual tracking because it was anamorphic, and so doing anamorphic camera tracking is is that much uh, more difficult. I did so just before we move off. I do want to mention it's the Embassy that did the um the HUDs, the you know computers, uh, sorry, the robots point of view shots. Because um, I mentioned uh, obviously Image Engine who was doing the character animation, but it was uh, Embassy that did those um those HUDs. Yeah. I think that those are two departments, I've mentioned this before, that I feel just never get enough credit. The guys that do the cleanup work to give you that clean plate and uh, the team that do the camera tracking because you know, we always assume that you run a, um, well, not, maybe not all of us, but many people assume that camera tracking is just a, a push and play option, but especially when you've got anamorphic lenses and you've got uh, quite a fluid camera motion going on, uh, it's not that simple and getting really good uh, tracks is absolutely pivotal to um, to selling these kind of shots in the first place. I hate camera. So, uh, sorry.
1: I hate camera tracking with anamorphics. <laughs> I really, really hate it. So, it's, I think it's one of these areas that it is harder, isn't it? I mean, oh it's, yeah, it it's, totally it's, is, yeah. yeah. And I think it's one of these things a lot of people don't necessarily appreciate just the amount of time and effort that goes into it a lot of times. Um, so, I, you know, when you look at the movie, and you can uh, realize that. I think it, it makes it much more kind of interesting how they've done it, and I think you get a much greater appeal and, and respect for that. Once you know that, I think it's a very undervalued role, I think, in the industry.
0: Yeah. There's a variety of of, uh, Panavision lenses they used on this, like the C-series, the E-series and the G-series. If I'm not mistaken, the C-series would have been like the hardest to do. Um, And I've shot with Panavision anamorphics and they're great lenses, but... Man, if you go wide open on those suckers sometimes or if you um, just do a couple of like things that you wouldn't expect, you can get some really weird, uh, almost halation type artifacts and non-vertical um, uh, kind of like shearing that, um, that happens that can really screw up your camera tracks. And they're just not things that you kind of anticipate. So, uh, again, points to those guys for doing that work. The other thing that was interesting, uh, Zap, I thought that they did this, you mentioned uh, some matching on the reds and stuff, but made me think of it. This is a full ACES color workflow that the guys oh, uh, set up for this.
2: I didn't know that.
0: Yeah. So for those of you that are less familiar with that, this is the Academy's uh, way of trying to get a consistent uh, color space. Well, it's more than that, actually. It's trying to get um, a way of having a kind of a unified color space. And uh, I was... <laughs> I was talking to someone recently um, who uh, got fired off a uh, production because they didn't understand color spaces, and uh, they made a bit of a fool of themselves at a meeting, and and they uh, themselves admitted this, and they got they said that they uh, they lost their job over it. It's um it's an area of color science that uh, maybe not very sexy, but if you really need to pull a film together and have terrific compositing where your CG really sits in and does stuff you need to be able to work out the color space and the colorimetry that's going on. You need it to be consistent and you need it to be verifiable in terms of its target. It's not just how you gather the stuff, but you want to make sure that you know what it's going to look like when it's projected. And that control uh, is what ACES kind of gives us with a lot of latitude and a lot of um, uh, guts. And it's probably only what in the last two or three years that we'd say that ACES has really um, been developed and sort of implemented in... uh, zap would you say that would be all right
2: yeah so the the interesting part with aces is that it's you know a completely workable solution for for your compositing pipeline mostly and making sure that your transfer from from the various formats all get into this um, single format but lately there's been a lot of discussion in how applicable it really is to rendering per se Because you run into some interesting issues when you start to render in wide gamut color spaces and you're still just using three colors, you know, red, green or blue or whatever you want to call these colors. Because uh, when you start to have colors interacting with themselves, which happens a lot with secondary bounces of light and stuff like that, you can actually get quite different result depending on which colour space you're doing the math if you just take as an example imagine you have a particular colour space where you have an object that is red and it's you know that is you know 0. 0.9 red and 0 green and 0 blue and that So this is now 90% red reflective, and if, you know, that reflects itself, it will be, you know, 0.9 times 0.9, you get a particular color. But if you transfer this to some other wider gamut, this 0.900 color might now be 0.4, 0.12, 0.38. And if you take these values and multiply by themselves, which is a self-reflection, and then try to convert it back, you will actually get a completely different result than if you were sticking in the original color space. And this is actually, you know, within the rendering world, a big, you know, everybody scratching our head, collective heads, and saying, "What are we going to do with this thing?" Because there's no right answer. Because as you all know, the only right answer is to do everything in properly in spectra, uh, and with you know thousands of slices of light, and we probably don't want to do that. Uh, well, so- the,
0: the spectral rendering is, you know what uh, wet has gone with That's what uh maxwell does in fact yeah. this this uh f- for the image pipeline at uh image engine this was houdini i looked i looked that up while we we're talking andrew and uh, but it was rendered in in three delight which is three delight is not um unprecedented it's just not as common a renderer uh though this is a new physically based shading pipeline that image engine has set up but three delight not not the most uh, widely used of the renderers, is that? Uh,
2: probably not, no. I'm personally quite unfamiliar with uh, 3D light as a renderer, but as everybody is now moving away from the old ad hoc uh, pipelines and moving towards physically-based shading, I will probably recognize a lot of the algorithms they would u- be using for physically-based sh- shading. Um, so, But I, I can't really say much about 3D Lite, uh, Itself as a renderer, I, I know very little about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it the proof's in the pudding, right? Like, it, it's working for Image Engine. I'm just saying that it's not yeah. uh, as, you know, it's not like one of the big heavyweights that we would normally expect to come up with at feature film level, which would be, you know, the kind of, um, I mean, the obvious ones are, you know, Arnold, Renderman, V Ray kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, these are not the only ones, of course, uh, but, uh, and the in house ones, Manuka and stuff that uh, people like Weta are using. Hey, um, that, that issue you're talking about in terms of the color space, would that be solved with a spectral renderer?
2: It kind of would, but it's at least for the rendering part in a sense. But uh, still, you have the issue of you can transfer between various tri-stimulus color spaces with the transformation matrix and get back what you put in, in a sensible way, as long as you're basically only doing these transformations. Because the moment you start to tinker with the stuff beyond simple, you know, brightness, uh, even contrast gets tricky, actually, uh, and you're in a different color space, you're actually doing a slightly different operation. And the question is, which is quote unquote right uh, well the only right operation would be the one in spectral color space really but nobody wants to do that math so yeah uh, the jury's out on what's the perfect uh, solution for all this is and uh, and, and while i've
0: th- got you on that if i'm doing the like so let's say i'm the texture artist that's trying to paint the graffiti on chappie mm-hmm. i mean if i was using a spectral render and they weren't because as far as i know three delight isn't um would I not have issues with some of my sort of tools for making those oh, things yeah. being RGB and Absolutely. what I want to do is spectral?
2: That's exactly the problem. That That's why things like, you know, the renders we have today that claim to be spectral, it's kind of, uh, you know, sure, they do some math in the spectral realm. But the moment your color inputs are RGB, it's or your textures are RGB, it's Kind of becomes pointless because you would need everything to be spectral for it to be meaningful, and uh, there's no like, you know, viable way to do that because your humans are sitting down. We can't even make up our mind. You know, if a dress is uh, gold and and, white <laughs> or if it's old black old and, blue. <laughs> and blue. So. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know, our our visual subsystems in the brain are quite limited to tell us to paint correctly. Spect- then you need to sample everything from real material, with real spectrum. It gets really, 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 really complicated. And the question well, to, is, this to add tiny. Another,
0: bit- I was going to say, just add another bit of complexity to that. You're shooting this on a red camera, so as we yes. know, a red camera has a CMOS chip, so it has RGB at the light well level. Now mm-hmm. it takes that information and does a matrix to add the crosstalk. To produce but still at some level mm-hmm. you, you you've uh, you've filtered for RGB at the uh, at the sensor level now yeah. it's not the same problem right obviously
2: no so the problem um, the particular problem is really just self interaction where it becomes because yeah. when you start multiplying stuff with itself uh, that's when you kind of uh, you know enhance the the, the effect of that particular thing and so even a small change like is the you know the value of this color the luminance if you will of this color is it 0.9 or 0.4 well in two different color spaces, it might be different uh, so if you're trying to just multiply it by itself will it become 0.9 or 0.4 times brighter that's quite a severe uh, you know difference um, you know 0.9 times 0.9 is 0.81 0.4 times 0.4 is 0.16 so it's you know quite um, yeah it, one ends up dark the other ends up bright and it just depends on which color space you're in so yeah but our, our you is have a, anyway so do you
0: have a render up uh sort of that you as a sort of a andrew is there something that you um uh, like have a render preference i uh,
1: uh render agnostic n- i quite like arnold um i mean i don't tend to do too much rendering most of the stuff we do we shouldn't have. A red dragon. which This is quite interesting to me, um, uh, but I, I, I tend to leave rendering to somebody else. It's not. It's not an area I'm particularly skilled at. But I do like Arnold actually quite a lot um, in V-Ray for product shots. I've used quite a lot. So
0: I'm gonna. I'm gonna really geek out here because I've. I can because it's a problem that Zap might be able to address for me. Uh, one of the issues that we've been tracking with uh, rendering is to do with the mitmaps, Um which is to say handling the texture complexity at different resolutions as mm-hmm. the object moves away from you. So just to explain this to people that are listening, so let's say I've got Chappie close to camera and he has a particular kind of specular stuff that we're seeing and a lot of detail and stuff. As Chappie moves away or the scout moves away from you and we're rendering it, we change effectively. We swap out and swap in different levels of texture um, in terms of the complexity of the of the um of the sort of data we're using it's the i'm trying to stay away from using buzzwords but um and in doing that what tends to happen is that we kind of average or uh smooth out some of those textures as they are being much much smaller and so theoretically you're not going to sort of see the difference the trouble is you can tend to get things looking more plastic as they move away uh and this isn't uh this is a problem in human faces an enormous amount because of what happens with uh the spec highlights on human faces, but it happens even in car paint. And uh, V-Ray has a special subset, uh, a special um, paint shader that just handles that spec um, as it moves away. For say, car shaders and Zap. I mean, uh, getting Chappie to look the same in a distance as close up. We're down talking about nuanced things here, right? But I mean, this is the sort of stuff that uh, is really some of the complex cutting-edge stuff that is been known about for a while but is still really pretty unsolved um,
2: yeah so the micro detail problem is uh, is tricky although uh, the kind of solution that is sort of the de facto these days in a sense is the fact that when you're working with path tracing uh, kind of renderers you're throwing so many primary rays at stuff like thousands in a pixel is just normal that what you do is that you simply don't filter your textures because you get so many samples within the pixel that it's the pixel filtering in the end that does the proper thing instead of trying to actually filter your. so some of the newer renderers actually has done away with all this uh Quote unquote nonsense of filtering because filtering the texture it made sense in a kind of a renderman thinking where you were assuming that you were kind of having one shading sample happening per pixel roughly or you can tweak that with the shading rate as it's known in the renderman style renderer but there was some... the the ballpark would be there so you should you kind of needed to filter your textures before you fed this stuff into your shader uh, to not get aliasing and stuff like that in your texture but if the normal case is to sample within your pixel a thousand times then that sampling really takes care of this this problem well, to but, but a large extent.
0: But this is the this is the equivalent of just mega over rendering it and then downsampling yes, the finished exactly. picture.
2: But when you're in the path tracer, that's kind of what you're doing anyway, because you're sending these you know thousands of paths into the pixel uh, and track, tracing them in, in, to various places to hit various lights etc so but it's also true that there is a lot of active research in this area because th- there is uh, ways to do it kind of doing an half and half solution in that taking the high resolution detail and basically more intelligently just a, d- a dumb filtering Uh, And this is specifically important for like bump maps, where really the the key problem is. Texture map is kind of okay to filter. Bump maps, if you just dumbly filter them, you make them flat. And that's useless. There's something called lean mapping, which is used in the game industry for this. Yeah, the lean mapping
0: is, yeah, is... But I was going to say, it's not just bump mapping, right? Because the specular paint flex um, Mm
2: -hmm. in car paint is not a bump problem, it's a spec problem. Uh, well, I mean, it's sort of, the, I mean, the specular, you can kind of think of it as a bump in the sense that each little flake has a particular normal vector pointing somewhere and reflecting a particular thing. And those flakes that happen to reflect your light source, you see them and all the rust can be discarded. And at a distance, the aggregate effect of all these little bright ones, uh, you perceive that as kind of a, a glossy highlight. So, uh, in a sense, it's kind of a bump problem. Which render is
0: a just. Which renderers are you saying are just doing away with it by not... By not uh,
2: off the top of my head, I, I mean, like the the iRay renderer that we use in, in Max, for instance, it doesn't do any filtering uh, on the right. texture. Um, some, um, yeah, interesting stuff we're working on doesn't do that. Because it, it is true that if you uh,
0: don't do this, you can end up with stuff that looks much more plastic in a distance. And that can be a really hard thing for a... Uh, for someone to solve because, you know, it is rendering what... I mean, it looks good if you zoom it up, right? It doesn't look good when you move it back. <laughs> well, like that that's what happens
2: simple. with filtering, right? If you don't do filtering, the risk is, the, the, the risk is that you get, uh, you know, aliasing uh, instead. More ice, but yeah. The aliasing, though, gets taken care of by the fact that you're doing the thousands of samples instead. Um, but you will have to do the, the loads of samples to, to get the... the um, the results uh, the, the kind of r- results uh, you want and for, for a path tracer this it's you know it's not uncommon to have a thousand samples in a pixel anyway so if you just make sure that these are jittered properly and offset slightly so you get a slightly different uh, position on the texture every time uh, it all averages out and and converge to basically the correct result
0: so monte carlo is our friend
2: yes uh, like Marcos says on his t-shirt you know brute falls Mar- monte carlo that's how i roll
0: yeah i have one of those t-shirts they're great then <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> you just you've, you've done the uh, clean version of the t-shirt though uh, yeah. but yes
2: sorry this is a family show <laughs> this is a family show well maybe
0: i don't know um <laughs> it wasn't a family show when you didn't agree with us last week, though you weren't on the show. But that's another matter.
2: Uh, yeah, we should maybe not mention that. But I loved Kingsman. It was awesome. Perfect send up. Yeah. Of- oh, no.
1: You did not like Kingsman, did you? Oh, no,
2: gosh. No. I know. Oh. That's
1: all
0: right. We, 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 uh, <laughs> we, we <laughs> apart from the fact we like him, we enjoy having Zap on because he doesn't agree with us. Um, Rightly or wrongly, correctly or incorrectly, up or down, it's uh, we enjoy having the variety of opinions, and and I sort to say here on the VFX show, I don't, I think our, our motto's always been we're really happy for people to have any opinion as long as it's a justified opinion. The one thing we don't want is someone saying I think that sucked and not being able to articulate why and I have to say in a production environment and, and I'm sure you'd agree with me Andrew that is the number one thing you want from either a colleague or a supervisor not that I don't like the shot not that it's not working but hey I think that that's not working because that's a misbalance in the, um, in the mid-tones kind of comment like you can live with that right it's, I, I think that shot sucks is the hardest one to fix
1: yeah, I mean, I, I get this. I mean, I work a lot a lot of small companies and do a lot of media for small companies. It's one of the, the most frustrating things when you're with your client and they just go, I don't like that. And you go, why? And they go, I just don't like it. And you go, but why? <laughs> it's, so it's, yeah, I mean, you need constructive criticism. And I think um, I think sometimes people don't like giving it though. I think people are, are kind of hesitant, But but you're right, you need to have somebody that can engage in reasonable dialogue with you and explain as to the particular reason they don't like something in order for you to facilitate a change.
2: But to the, yeah. def- to the defense, though, of these people who say these things, you have to realize that a lot of the things, uh, uh, the way our you know, perception works, our visual perception, is that we actually have a very low understanding of what we're actually seeing. Uh, get back to this uh, you know gold and white versus black and blue dress is a perfect case of that oh yeah <laughs> but but, uh, but okay
0: all right you've brought it up twice now what what did you see
2: obviously it was uh, white and gold at first yes uh, obviously uh, it was white and gold good yes andrew eh uh, white and gold
0: yeah, okay, good. Yeah. I'm glad we put that to bed. So here's the thing I, I do understand what you're saying, but you'll notice that when I was saying that to Andrew a moment ago, I wasn't saying when you're talking to a director or a producer or a client, because I'm willing to cut them a lot more slack in not having the uh, trained ability to necessarily, in our language, articulate why they thought Chappie didn't or did work in a shot. What I was saying to a colleague or a supervisor, that's what you want. You want an articulated comment that is, has a specificity to it and that it, it, you can just really, you know, say, okay, in my opinion, what's not working for me here is the eyeline or, uh, the weight of the character in the scene, or I just feel like he's, uh, he's, you know, uh, the wrong height for the whatever. And it may or may not be right or wrong, but at least it's something to work with. And, you if you can train yourself to offer that opinion as much as you can, accept it when it's given, and and kind of welcome it because it's a uh, thoughtful, and not just it sucks, which <laughs> is just so not right. helpful.
2: But let's let's take an example. I mean, some people can see things that other people can't, and I think uh, in a sense that. Uh, the perfect example really is when ambient inclusion got thrown upon us back in 2002 or something and that basically took Mike the eye of someone like michael bay of all people uh, when they were making pearl harbor he thought like you know those shadows aren't dark enough and like the, i don't have a good contact feeling for these things and people started realizing uh, all this stuff that ended up basically being ambient occlusion back then, which is what gives you all these nice contact shadows. But the way our optical subsystem in the brain work, it actually basically removes that effect. So you don't really see the effect uh, when it's there, when it's missing, you see something is wrong, but I can't put my finger on what it is. So I kind of can have an understanding of the person seeing the thing without like without the ambient occlusion and say something looks weird with this. I don't like it. I don't know what it is, but something is wrong. And then you turn on, you know, the ambient occlusion and say, yes, that's much better. That's what's the thing I was missing. I had no idea before that was what I'm missing, but now I know that's what I'm missing. So you know I'm just trying to defend the poor slob who says I don't like it and I don't know why a little, just 10% Defense here, not much uh, because you know, perception is a bitch and um, we suck at it,
0: yeah. I, I think we particularly suck at it with faces, right? But, um, I will still say, I, I, you know, grant you, yep, somebody having the um, the strength of character to say, I don't think that's right and we should we should change it is is key, but that being said, uh, on this show. <laughs> what we like is not to uh, to denigrate the work of, uh, of people by just saying it sucks. what I was saying is on this show we don't mind anyone just saying oh, I didn't like that as long as they can come up with a you know a good reason for it or some logic behind it And then you're in a position to judge yourself right like everyone listening to the show is like an intelligent collaborative filmmaker that wants to do good work and so consequently they can say for themselves well you know what I just disagree with that point about X or y that you guys made but not, I hate you. I hope they're not saying. I hope you guys listening aren't saying that. I hate you because you just are saying that you don't like it. And you're not saying why, and I certainly find that a very frustrating thing when I hear somebody review something and just say, "Well, it didn't look real." Well, why not? I mean, give me something to go on here. Like I, you know, what what is it that you didn't like? That, uh, and if you can't articulate it, I feel you've not you've not sort of stepped up to the plate for the role of the VFX show in the first place. But there you go. That's my uh, that's my opinion, and I'm. I'm uh, willing to expound it at inordinate length. Hey, um, is there anything else that we haven't touched on in Chappie specifically that uh, you wanted to um, to uh, hammer down on?
1: Yeah, this has uh, nothing to do with the visual effects, though. I watched an interview okay. with Hugh Jackman where he said his wife cried at the end of the movie, um, and I and I found that rather strange. I <laughs> haven't watched the movie because I thought it was so nicey nice the ending you know we cynical glass regions we would have had everyone die at the end of that movie so i just thought that was quite a strange <laughs> thing that she said uh, you know that the thing that came out maybe and, she was
0: crying because the mother was uh was uh either she thought the mother had died or the mother was resurrected and that made her happy
1: you know it's I funny so. because i would seen i'd seen that interview before i'd seen the movie, so i thought oh wow this is gonna have really dark connotations maybe a real twisted end um, so I just thought it was quite strange when I actually watched it. I thought, hmm, I wonder what she cried over. Because they never really made it clear. <laughs> anyway, nothing to do with the visual effects. I just thought I'd mention that. It's been and, annoying me the and old use that?
2: The practicals, the practical effects, not just the, um, you know, the, the, the uh, practical uh, robots, which didn't really do much, were, were built fantastically. Uh, although a little parenthesis on the design of these robots... They made a big deal about all the joints being kind of uh, sort of correct in a sense, not doing the the old ball joint uh, trick that is often done on these kind of robot things. Uh, Although I wonder, even with these joints, if these robots would be as strong as they were. Even old C-3PO actually has a little pistons, you know, moving his arms, which would make more sense if I'm going to build a robot. But anyway, the point I was going for was the explosions uh the the especially that carpet bombing thingy which was basically all practical and uh, from what I heard they shot it once and they thought ah, it wasn't big enough so the guy loaded it up and he made everything like three or four times bigger so that looked kind of dangerous actually yeah, yeah. Uh, but but well uh, yeah. on that
0: score on that score we heard also from the filmmakers that they shot parts of the footage in slums in South Africa in areas that were really dangerous to be going in and they had limited crew that were allowed to go in because they were really worried about them. And moreover, when they had some of the riot footage that they were shooting, you know, when the droids go down, the scouts go down, they were really worried there had actually been riots in those areas and they were worried that they were going to start a riot because mm-hmm. people would think that the movie riot was a real riot and they would yep. just join in wow. and it would all just get out of control. Um, and those are some interesting filmmaking challenges. I know, first yeah. AD on that sucker that day. So what, what's, the, uh, what's the risk for today? Well, the risk for today is we start a complete riot and uh, <laughs> do millions of dollars of damage and kill people. Right. Good, good. Good hey, note. Thanks.
2: W- welcome to Joburg. Yeah.
0: I do think that I'm probably not speaking out of school when I say there's probably some stuff with those explosions that was a little easier to do in South Africa than would have been to do in California. Yeah. Or Scotland probably. or Australia. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. I think there's kind of... Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, okay, good. Well, look, guys, I liked the film. I just didn't like it as much as I thought I would. But then uh, I think I just love some of these actors so much I wanted to see them act more and, and that that uh, overshadowed. But I did absolutely love the character animation and thought it was uh, spectacularly good. I do hope, though, that we'd see aliens not set in South Africa. Uh (laughs) Zap, where can people uh, follow you if they wanted to uh, follow along and and, uh, check up on what you're up to? Uh,
2: As usual, you can look me up on the Twitters as uh, uh, at Zap. But now, as I mentioned, I teased a couple of times and now it's real. Uh, We've started a new blog over on the area called the Rendering Alliance. The first uh, introductory post should be up. It's from us in the 3DS Max rendering team where I'm working these days. And uh, yeah, there's going to be some interesting stuff happening there moving forward. So um, tune over to the area, look at up the Rendering Alliance, and you will probably see me typing some crap over there.
0: <laughs> so the URL for that is uh, area.autodesk.com/blog/the-rendering-alliance or one uh, or one word. Um, and Andrew,
1: uh, you can find me on Twitter at Andrew Usher. But I'm not a huge on social media. I have to confess, I'm too busy. Um, but occasionally I post on Twitter like once every time there's a full moon or something like that
0: <laughs> and uh, and of course I'm Mike Seymour on uh, on Twitter and uh, also we're um, we're doing a lot more stuff at the moment on uh, on some of the other outlets including YouTube so keep an eye out for that on uh, FX Guide I want to thank you guys so much for being with us I want to thank you for listening we really do appreciate it and as I say if you do follow us on Twitter and suggest things. We try and take them on board and discover what we can or look them up or, or discuss them. So we really, really appreciate you guys uh, contributing. And um, that's it for this week. Uh, we're about to head into a ton of great uh, summer picks so that's uh something to really look forward to and some films that uh have some really interesting effects because some of their lead actors unfortunately passed away which will definitely pose some very struggling uh visual effects challenges for the teams involved i also want to just thank the team that put the show together this week um as always we have a team behind the scenes that do so much uh, work from uh, all corners of the world in fact um and so uh i just want to thank um uh, Todd who produces the show Ian who helps coordinate it um, David who's editing it and uh, Jim and the guys uh, do a great job behind the scenes so thanks much and of course always always our hosts that's it for this week I'm Mike Seymour until next time see you guys
1: if you have any questions or comments please email us at vfx at fxguide.com. Copyright 2012, FX Guide, LLC.